Ramblin' Waltz. That is from the new CD from Christine Lavin. On my way to Hooterville, and Christine is on the line. Hi, Christine. Hi, Michael. It's so great to talk to you after all this time. You too. And I really think your new album is great. This is uh, 25 albums now? Yeah, it's my 25th solo, and I feel like it's the last one I will ever do. Why? Why is that? Well, uh, for one thing, you know, it's it's very expensive to mail CDs. It's way more expensive to mail them than it is to even manufacture them. And um, so many people are doing things digitally. But I also, um, since I started making videos, I write differently. And I, I write in a more visual way that um, in, for some songs, it, uh, I'm not satisfied with them now just as songs. I, I want pictures to go along with them. So I'll keep making videos, but I think th- this will be my last album. I noticed that online uh, you're described as a singer, songwriter, and videographer. When did you become a videographer? Well, it's really interesting. Back in 2010, this is 10 years ago, I moved north up to the Finger Lakes where my mom was living. She was in her 90s, and she had very uh, little short-term memory, and she just couldn't live by herself. And I was the only one of the nine kids in our family who could uh, move around and, and, you know, just uproot myself like that. So I did it, and um, I realized because she couldn't remember anything, I would take my camera and make these short little videos of what she did during the day so she could look at them at night and remember. And then about after two years of doing that, I realized, oh, I could probably make videos for my songs. So I taught myself how to do it. And now I make video. I've made videos for Noel Paul Stuckey and for Janice Ian and, and for Judy Collins. And it's just something I, I love to do. I work obsessively, you know, around the clock to the point of exhaustion when I'm working on video. So I, um, it just, I just sort of fell into it because I was helping out my mom. And do you, do you post these on YouTube? What do you do with the videos? Um, mostly I post them on Facebook because that's where they, they get shared a lot. But I also do put them on YouTube because um, I'm hoping to reach a point where I can, uh, you know, I, I sort of have my own little channel. But uh, it's I can't monetize it yet. I don't have enough. I have plenty of subscribers. I've got about 1,500 subscribers. But you have to have 4,000 hours of views in a year. And I'm not at that level yet. But I think I will reach it soon. Christine Lavin's on the line. Her latest album is On My Way to Hooterville. We listened to Ramblin' Waltz, and that, that song was also on your first album. Yeah, it was on um, Future Fossils, but it was the music was slightly different. And that record came out in 1984, but I actually wrote the song in 1975 when I was a waitress at the Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs. I was a, a waitress and a bread baker, and... Lena heard that Bob Dylan was doing a show called the Rolling Thunder Review, and they were rehearsing somewhere in Cape Cod. This is before the Internet. And she figured out where they were rehearsing. We drove all night and met up with them. And uh, Bob Dylan invited Lena to be part of the entourage for the first week of the tour. And I was one of her drivers, so I got to be part of the entourage myself, and I saw the show three times. Once from the follow spot operator, I sat next to him. Once 
from the front row sitting next to Lena and once from the wings in three different cities. And I wrote the song about Ramble and Jack Elliott. He was early in the show and then he was back at the end for the finale. And we'd all go back to the hotel wherever we were staying that night. And I, I was just kind of curious about him because he had such an effect on Bob Dylan's style of singing and phrasing and everything. And he so deserved to be there. And the audience adored him. But at the end of the night, he was always sitting by himself having a drink. He doesn't drink anymore, and you know, which is good. But um, so I, I was so careful when I wrote the song, I didn't actually say his name because I didn't want to intrude on his, his privacy. But um, in my head, I always heard harmonies on it and I heard the music to be a little more melancholy than the original music that I wrote so I thought ah, 45 years later let's redo the song so it's the only old song on the record and it is a sad song did it did it give you any uh, hesitation to be a, a touring artist um well at the time I was a waitress and a bread baker and I never thought I was good enough to have a career. I thought I could have a career as a waitress and a bread baker in a cafe. But Lena kept putting me on stage between artists and um, on weekends. And I kept getting, you know, a lot of positive comments from a lot of audience members. And, and then just a couple months later, Dave Van Ronk was passing through town and Lena had me sing that song about Jack to Dave. And I'll never forget it because it was at this executive bar on a Sunday night. Dave was driving from Montreal back to New York. There was a jukebox playing and a TV set going. And Lena had me sing him a song sitting at a table with all this distraction. And I sang that, that song, Ramblin' Waltz. And Dave closed his eyes halfway through the song. And I thought, oh, my God, I put him to sleep. <laughs> but he wasn't. He was concentrating, and when the song was over, he opened his eyes and he said, you should come to New York. And earlier that night, uh, Don McLean's manager saw me play and gave me his card and said, you should learn how to play guitar better, and then come to New York, I could help you. And so when Dave said, you should come to New York, I said, oh, I will, but after I learn how to play guitar better. And Dave said, I'm a teacher, I'll teach you. So two weeks later, I moved to New York, and it's where I've been more or less ever since. Oh, that's great. Well, first, first, did you ever get to meet Bob Dylan from the Rolling when you were on the Rolling Thunder Review? Yes, I did. I did, and we had such a conversation. I, uh, it was the last day that we were uh, with the tour. We were in a rest stop someplace on the, um, the Massachusetts Turnpike. And I remember Bob Dylan came and sat with Lena and this girl, Joni, who was also part of the entourage, and me, at our table. And we were looking at a map, figuring out how to drive back to Saratoga Springs from where we were, because we had to split off from the tour. And so, you know, he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I, so I explained. And he said, oh. And and then he said nothing else after that. So I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm sitting with Bob Dylan. I, he's got to say something and I'll remember forever. So so I said to him, I said, you know, I love the show. I've seen it three times now. And 
I love how you do This Land is Your Land at the end as a big closer. It's such a perfect song and everybody taking verses. It's really great. And he said, oh, thank you. And then that, but he didn't say anything after that. So I said, do you know that verse that's written by Arlo Guthrie's friend, the, the Native American? And he says, no, how's it go? So I said, um, let's see if I can remember. This land is your land. This land was my land until I sold you Manhattan Island. You moved our nation to the reservation. This land was stole by you from me. And he said, oh, that's good. Okay, bye. <laughs> so I sat with Bob Dylan, and I told him how a song goes. Oh, that's great. And, Only conversation with him. And to lead into that, since you took guitar lessons from Dave Van Ronk, I assume you sat on that famous couch that Bob Dylan slept on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many, many times. <laughs> yeah, Dave was a great teacher because, like me, he's left-handed and played right-handed guitar. So he said, what happens is when you're a lefty and you play right-handed, your left hand will always be slightly smarter than the average guitar player. But that's offset by your right hand being slightly <laughs> dumber. <laughs> he was great. And well, I mean, that's very exciting. You, you've been doing this now for so many decades. Did you have any idea this is where your life was going to lead? I had no idea. And, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's going on, you know, I was in the middle of a 14-city tour when everything stopped. I was on the road with Cheryl Wheeler, John Gorka, Cliff Eberhardt, and Patty Larkin. There were five of us. We had sold 4,000 tickets in advance for the shows that that went from, you know, uh, from east to west. And... Uh, just last night, they had me make a video for the show that was canceled on March 13th, and it had sold out in November. So it had sold out months in advance at the Regent Theater in Arlington, Massachusetts, and the show has now been postponed to February 5th, 2022. That's how far ahead they're postponing shows, because we don't know, you know, we, as folks, folk singers are, are such responsible people, and we do not want in any way to be magnets for people to put themselves in jeopardy, to be in a crowd where you can be exposed to, to this virus. So, um, you know, we, we hope that we'll all be alive in 2022 mm-hmm. and that the shows will go on, but that's, that's the status of it now. Christine Lavin is on the line. Her new album is called On My Way to Hooterville. You do live in New York, and how are you surviving? Are you doing okay uh, with the uh, virus? Well, um, (laughs) I'm I'm luckier than most because I collect Social Security, and I also live in affordable housing. Even though it's more than $1,000 a month, um, uh, my Social Security is more than that, too. But um, I, I've been making videos. Sometimes I get paid. Often I don't. But, but I love making them, so I'm very busy. And um, I'm doing online shows. And I just started selling CDs from my website. I, I haven't done that. I haven't had a website. I've had a website since 1994. But I'm finally selling the CDs 
directly off my website so I can autograph them. And uh, and I go to the post office every day. I know all the postal workers because <laughs> I come in. You know, I I only get like three or four orders a day, but it's starting to add up. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping for the best. And I'm, uh, you know, we just we just don't know, and we have to be safe. Uh, I assume one day it will magically disappear, but uh, in as in New York, is, are the streets really like a ghost town? No, no, that was Trump just being mean. He doesn't know. He just says stuff, you know, whatever pops into his head. Now, it's, I go to Trader Joe's twice a week, and there's always a, a line. You know, they, they space out the lines, and they only let a certain number of people into the store. At a, at a time, and you know, we've we're, we've all gotten used to um, all the strict rules about lockdowns and stuff, and it, because we have to. And I feel very sorry for people who think that it's not necessary to do that, because uh, if you don't, you're really putting yourself and your family and your friends and strangers in jeopardy. So we're just we're all making adjustments. It's crazy out there because people, you know, don't even know how to wear their mask correctly. Why even wear a mask if you're not going to wear it correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's and, and I, it's very frustrating. I hate wearing a mask. I hate how it fogs up my eyeglasses. But, you know, what's the alternative? That you're going to expose yourself and going to die this horrible, painful death? Um, so it's, I mean, this is serious. This is really serious. And anyone who thinks it's not is, is being foolish. Christine Lavin is on the line on my way to Hooterville is your new album. Was there, uh, uh, any decision not to release it now? Uh, no, actually I did it specifically so that I could hire, um, musicians who were all out of work. And they were thrilled. But we all, you know, we wore masks. We all had to be tested before we went into the studio. And um, I w- didn't want 2020 to be a, a complete bust as far as, you know, creating music goes. So uh, and on the album cover, you know, when you open it up, everybody's wearing a mask in their pictures. So that we're, we just wanted to sort of commemorate this very strange time we're living through. I think of Hooterville and I think of uh, Petticoat Junction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, my song, my album is called On My Way to Hooterville. But you know what? I never get there. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just on our way somewhere. And for me, I actually started writing the song when I was on a train from New York to Charlotte. And the original lyric was, I'm on my way to Charlottesville. But Charlottesville, the, just the word, the city is so fraught with um, with meaning because of what happened in Charlottesville that I, I thought, well, I, I, I can't use that name. I, it, it, it just totally changes the song. And for some reason, Hooterville popped into my head. I will. Go figure. But but they're all all the Hooterville stories are true stories about things that have happened to me on the road. And if there's any silver lining to the pandemic, it's that none of us have to deal with hotels or well-meaning strangers or fans who want to put us up for the night. And then um, 
you know, let us know after we've arrived and have all our bags with us. And then they show us a beautiful guest room and find out, oh, there's no bed. Oh, but the carpeting is very soft. I, that has happened to me three times in my career that people expected me to sleep on a floor and thought that that was acceptable to a folk singer. I, and I'm a senior citizen folk singer. And I'm no, you know, and, and all three times that happened, I got zero sleep. So it's, if you're, if you ever want to put up a folk singer, please have a bed for them and, <laughs> and have it be a good bed, not a bad bed. Well, that's, that's pretty crazy being on the road and uh, accepting, uh, uh, invitations from strangers. Uh, I, I imagine. Well, I'm sure it's all done with the goodness of their heart, but it, it puts you in yeah. situations that uh, must be very uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they are. But you know, it's um, because it's so expensive to travel that we try to save money whenever we can. There's a, a Hooterville story that I've, I haven't set to music, and I may at some point. It's when these people were, I was doing a benefit for them for, to raise money for these Russian immigrants. This is maybe 25 years ago. And they said if I would stay at their house, they could have an extra $100 that they could give to the Russian family. And I said, oh, I'm such a light sleeper. It's, it usually doesn't work out. And they go, no, you don't understand. We're moving out of the house. It's in the middle of a cornfield. It'll be absolutely quiet. And how could I say no to that? They're moving out of their house. But they left a couple details out. One was it was an A-frame that had no walls or, or doors inside. And they were moving out of the house with 40 friends to camp next to the house. And they were drinking beer. So all night long, the screen door was opening and slamming shut and opening and slamming shut as they all had to come in to use the bathroom. And there was no walls or doors to protect me from the sound. And there was no curtains on the window. And window faced east and the sun came. So, again, zero sleep, but an extra hundred dollars to give to the, to the Russian immigrants. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the fourth time. That was four nights it's happened to me. And, and it's so important that you, you don't let on that you're upset because you could, it really influences people's in, uh, opinion of you. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, if they see, well, one time, <laughs> I'll never forget this one. It was in Connecticut, and I didn't sleep all night. I was in a, in a, um, a hotel. It was just one of those things where I just couldn't sleep. And I was playing this club and there was this family in the very front row with these two little boys who were playing video games, <laughs> Game Boys, right in front of me in the front row. And I got so aggravated that at between one of the songs, I said, you know, I could see you. I could see you playing video games. You know what this says to me? And, of course, everyone thought, what a raving <laughs> Because I was so sleep-deprived and upset. So, yeah, you do have to be careful that you don't get, get too crazed in front of the audience. Christine Lavin is on the line. Well, let's listen to one of your adventures on the road from your new CD, On My Way to Hooterville. This is... The third of three stories of uh, Christine Lavin on the road. I 
On my way to Hooterville, that's part three, the third story that Christine Lavin features on her new CD, On My Way to Hooterville. That, a, a person who doesn't make left turns, that's so bizarre. I know. And, and then this little Canadian girl letting me into her house and trying to clean up her room so that I could take a nap. And, it, you know, it says a lot about Canadians because they are so nice. And, and so helpful and so trusting. But that's why in the liner notes, I have, there's a download of liner notes at, at my website for that album. I explained, I said, this happened more than 25 years ago. And I wonder if this little girl ever thinks about that, that day. Like, what did she say to her parents? Uh, this American folk singer came by and she was going to stay, but then she went to a hotel and her parents were like, what? That's so <laughs> and then maybe she thought she dreamed the whole thing. So in the letter notes, I apologize to her and wish wish her well and, and hope that she's grown up to be a, a good and kind Canadian person, as I'm sure she has. Well, that story happened a long time ago. When did you write the song? Oh, I just wrote it uh, this past year. You know, that's one of the great things about being an older songwriter. You have so many more things that you can draw from as you get older, and you look at them differently. Um, like, uh, there's a song on my record called Until That Day, and it's about, um, it's, it's really, it sort of tells the story of my whole family, but how my parents met on the New York City subway. Uh, when my father, he used a, a, a really cute line on my mom. He said, are you one of Judge Crawford's daughters? <laughs> and she said, yes, I am. And that, that's all it took, and the conversation started, and they ended up falling in love, and, and getting married. But now, because everybody's staring at their cell phones, people aren't meeting the way they used to on subways. And we have no idea what this is doing socially to, to people, especially young people who are growing up. And so in, in that song, it, to me, the most important line is, you got to look up from your cell phone so this can happen to you. And I'm just hoping that young people will hear it and we'll think, oh, yeah, what am I missing? Because I'm, I'm so absorbed in this Candy Crush game. Mm. I'm also curious about, uh, Christine, I mean, you've, you've had guitar lessons from Dave Van Ronk, but you've seen to take in folk music into new worlds with, with your uh, productions. You're the, I think you're the first singer I ever saw use a, a, a loop in concert. Uh, has has being a folk music has that limited your your ability or have you not just redefined what folk music is? You know, um, I've always felt that I was a songwriter before I thought of myself as a performer. Um, but I think my life changed when I saw Dame Edna when I was in Australia back in the nineteen eighties. And do you know who Dame Edna is? Oh, she, she's the, uh, the man who dressed up as a woman, and he was, he was very, she was very popular. Oh, yeah. Her TV it's show really... was so funny, actually. I know. I know. I, I think of Dame Edna as the gold standard of, of uh, comedic voices in, uh, in the English-speaking world. And I realized, because I went to see his show, because he was on Broadway for a while, um, many, many times, and I realized there is nothing you can't do when you're on stage. And I encourage other performers. I tell them, you know, if you have another skill, 
if you can clog dance, if you can whistle, if you can play the penny whistle, if you can uh, recite poetry in a dramatic way, anything you can do on stage that's entertaining, bring it into your show. There's there's no limit. And and Tom Paxton says that too. He said, just because you're one voice and one guitar, don't for a second think this isn't show business. He said, this is the essence of show business. So there's really, I think the sky's the limit. You live in New York and reading your memoir, Cold Pizza for Breakfast, I know you're a big fan of Broadway. Uh, do you fantasize about being on Broadway? <laughs> no. No. One of the things I fantasize now about is uh, is Broadway singers doing my songs, and it's happened. Um, Karen Ziamba just did a song of mine, and Sutton Foster has recorded a song of mine twice. And she's the biggest Broadway star there is. Of course, there's no Broadway right now. But when it comes back, she's going to be doing Music Man with, um, oh, what's that guy? Uh, the, the tall, handsome Australian guy. Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hugh Jackman's going to play Henry Hill. And she's Marion, the librarian. And uh, when Sutton Foster started doing one of my songs, it's like that opened the floodgates. All suddenly, I was on the radar of Broadway performers, and to me, many Broadway performers. Maybe the, the greatest example would be Patti Lupone. To me, she is like the theater equivalent of the seven-foot-tall basketball player. Some people just are born with certain skills and certain physical traits that make them like Patti Lupone is just she's unbreakable, she's unstoppable. She has this huge voice. She sings, you know, flat out, uh, all the way, you know, using all of her powers every night, eight shows a week. And um, and to me, I do the best I can with my little voice and my little guitar. But to have people who are built for the stage take your song places you could never dream of taking them, to me, that's that's what I fantasize about. How did they get your song? Well, it's very interesting. Sutton Foster said to me, aren't you curious how I found your song? And I said, oh, yeah, how did you? She was doing a show in January, this is many years ago now, um, of at Joe's Pub, which was part of the public theater downtown. And um, she wanted to do a hot weather show in the dead of winter just to show people summer's coming, don't worry, you know, we'll get through this winter. And so she went to iTunes, and she was searching, using words, looking for hot weather songs. And by happenstance, one of the phrases she looked for was air conditioner. And she found my song, Air Conditioner. And she, I have over 100 emails of little theater girls all over the country who tracked me down after seeing Sutton Foster sing it, asking if they could have the sheet music for it. And I have the sheet music now in three different keys. And the funny thing is, um, you know, most people charge for sheet music, but I thought folk singers were poor until I met actors. <laughs> actors are the poorest of the poor. And I never charge actors for, for sheet music of mine because I'm just so thrilled that they, they tracked me down to begin with. Christine Lavin is on the line. 
how, how do you be funny? Oh, God, who knows? Um, you know, I'm not the funny one in my family. The funny one is my brother, Chris. And we have two Chris Lavins in the same family. <laughs> and he was born on Columbus Day. And, and the nurse, and he was the eighth of nine children. And so the nurse said, oh, it's Columbus Day. You should call him Christopher. <laughs> my mom said, okay. And then they gave him the middle name of Nicholas because that was the doctor who delivered all of us, and Dr. Nicholas Kaleo, and he was so pleased. He said, no charge. And my father said, if I had known he was going to say no charge, I would have <laughs> named you all, Nicholas. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, sometimes I'm trying to write a really serious song, and a funny song pops out instead. And sometimes I'm trying to write funny, and a serious song comes along. You don't know. It's, you know, a lot of folk singers and songwriters will say it's, like fishing you're casting your line out there and you're hoping to, to get a bite on it and you start reeling it in and you're not sure what you got until you're until you're done and then you look at it and you go how did i write that you never it's kind of a mysterious process you never uh were on stage at a comedy club were you oh actually i was once once and but it was also a really uh a, a a very uh, important turning point in my career. It's when I was new in New York and I went to Catch a Rising Star because I heard that they had music in between the comics. And I did not know that the music between the comics was um, was like just sort of a break from the ha-ha funny stuff. And so the music was serious, but the comics were funny. But I come along blindly not knowing and I'm funny doing music, and it just was a disaster. It was it, it was like a domino effect disaster. Everything went wrong, including a guy borrowing money from me at the bar, and then no back. So it ended up costing me all this money to go and be humiliated and be booed off stage. And but I wrote a story about it, and I sent the story to New York Magazine. And New York Magazine printed it, and I made $300. <laughs> and I realized, boy, I didn't know that I could get paid for writing. And to have such a horrible, horrible night unspooled like that, but, but having the presence of mind to make notes and write it down, and then being paid for it, it just its kind of just was a real jolt, thinking it doesn't matter if you – if you have a horrible experience, if you can turn it into something that other people can laugh at, then you're ahead of the game. Christine Lavin is on the line. Is New York still the place to be? Oh, God, I have no idea. I've spent so much time inside this apartment. Luckily, I, I have a great view of the East River. I'm right next to the Manhattan Bridge and the FDR Drive. But it's very, very noisy, and I have to run air conditioners and fans and white noise machines at night to block out the sound of the subway going by. And I've always loved living here because of the creative uh, community. And um, it's right now everything is on hold. So uh, I, I, I don't know if this is where I will stay and... You know, time will tell. Christine, thanks for taking time to talk to us. The new album, On My Way to Hooterville. Tell me about what? 
Oh, is that how you say it? What? Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was told uh, five, well, now it's more like six or seven years ago, that, um, that I was having some hearing loss. And like many people, I just ignored it until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And um, the, the only good thing about the song I can say that I'm sort of proud of is that it took me five years to finally address the problem. But my audiologist, Dr. Joe Montano, and believe me, he gets good tables in restaurants with a name like that. <laughs> he, uh, he said for the average person, they wait 10 years before they finally address their hearing loss. So I think, seriously, if, if any of your listeners find themselves saying, what? more than they think they sh should be, or if the friends are commenting on the hearing, get your hearing tested. It's, um, and what really pushed me into, into doing it was that there's, um, you know, they're doing so much research on hearing that when, you're, when your brain stops receiving certain signals from your ears, that your cognitive ability can start to go down. And once you get hearing aids and those nerves are being stimulated again, it goes back up. So it's when I heard about that, I thought, oh, okay, I better address this. And I, so I've, I've addressed I wrote this at Yaddo, believe it or not, last September. I was at the, uh, the artist colony Yaddo in Saratoga Springs. And I wrote it, and I have a video at my website that I recorded in my little cabin at Yaddo when I first wrote the song. But I love, what I love about the recording is that it starts out with real beats from a hearing test. <laughs> Let's listen to what? And Christine, congratulations on your latest CD, and thank you so much for talking to us. Well, thank you, Michael. And how's your hearing? <laughs> Oh, I was never the kind of musician 